The Athletic. There are reasons to be a little fearful. Spornals steps away and leaves it to Aaron Cresswell. And whips the corner, of course, and they've done it! Hello everybody, I'm Danny Kelly. This is the View from the Lane, the Athletics Tottenham Hotspur podcast. I suppose we should be playing a Russian funereal music behind us because I suspect this is going to be quite a tricky show to get through on the show today. Helping me with that trickiness are the Athletics' Jack Pitbrook and James Moore. Look, I'll start with you, James, because you've got your Spurs supporting hat on. How did you feel at full-time after watching Spurs' defeat at West Ham yesterday? That's just um, I've carefully chosen the most neutral words possible there. Tottenham's narrow defeat at West Ham yesterday. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. I don't think you're going to be able to sway me on this. Um, <laughs> as pr- as pretty pretty deflating, wasn't it? I mean, to, to what you know, Sp- I, I thought Spurs played reasonably well up against Villa, and actually against Newcastle, I felt they probably could have won the game four or five one, but on the balance of play. So to take such a big step back with with what was really quite a sort of meek and cowardly performance, particularly in the second half when it didn't even have a shot on goal, was. Uh, it's actually worse than I expected. I said to you just before we started recording that I expected Spurs to lose, but actually I kind of expected a bit more fight than that. Yeah, it was pretty um, It was pretty bleak, really. Yeah, I guess I, what I would say is that uh, after a couple of weeks of trepidatiously building them up and people listening to our voices after the games against Newcastle, Aston Villa said, listen to these lot whistling in the dark, ignoring what's actually going on there. And this is the really frightening thing. You could, you could argue it was a return to the mean, that that is what Spurs are now, a team with one or two talented players, but essentially a mid-table team that's going to struggle unmercifully in the way it's currently set up to make chances for those good players against anything other than the most lackadaisical opposition, which, say, for instance, Newcastle provided on the on the day. We're both still being very careful in our choice of words. Let's get a, uh, a, a, a neutral, if expert, eye on this. A grown-up. Jack, yeah, the grown-up in the room, which must be an unusual experience for you, Jack, but there you are. You watched the game. Um, what did you make of, uh, well, forget about West Ham for now. What did you make about Spurs? Well, like you say, I think the depressing thing was that Tottenham had been improving. They'd won they'd won their last two league games. And this was such a step in the wrong direction. You know, like James, I thought the first half was fine, but it was only fine if it was, a, you know, a foundation, like a basis for a better second half in which they actually tried to score a goal. And so, and I know they had a few times they flashed the ball across the box in the second half, but to not create anything, to not create anything after going behind, to not make any changes in the second half until far too late and not bring, and to fail to bring on creative players until after the point at which the game had basically been lost was damning. And it, and what was so bad about it was that it didn't feel, it didn't feel like a freak one-off. Like it didn't feel like a game in which, no. you know, everything went wrong or a game in which, you know, they had, they, were unlucky with decisions or with random bounces of the ball or anything like that. What was bad about it was that it just felt like this is what Tottenham are now under Nuno. This is a team which is not going to create a lot of chances. And it made you think, well, if this is the direction they're heading, how much worse is it going to get? I mean, that that thing you've just described there, you know, winning a couple of games and, and kind of feeling like you're moving in the right direction and then suddenly losing a game and then feeling like you've gone back to square one. That is basically what mid-table teams are, right? Yeah. That I kind of came to this realization after the game yesterday that it feels incredibly frustrating because because what we've kind of grown accustomed to in the last five or six years has been a, a team 
you know, occasionally having bad runs of form, but then going on a run of like sort of 15 games where they'll win 12 or 13 of them and they'll climb a table and be top four or, you know, top two even in some seasons. But now it kind of feels like we're kind of stuttering back and forth constantly. And, and like, you know, it's, it's clearly a quality and a mentality thing and partly a technical thing as well, I guess. But it just feels like they're an upper mid-table team now and maybe we need to kind of get used to the idea that they're not going to win five or six games in a row at any point. Well, I, I, th- I think that's... Um, uh, I might be so bold. That is a bit early for that kind of defeatism. I think the problem is is who is leading the team as well as the players themselves. We'll talk about that in a second. And we're, we're pussyfooting around this, aren't we? For me, the most frightening moment was afterwards when Nuno was being interviewed. Now, I know that they're playing a character when they're being interviewed now. Um, but nothing about his demeanour suggests to me that this wasn't what he really thinks when he said he thought Spurs were the better team um, and also they weren't the better team. West Ham were the better team. You could see what they were trying to do. I have no idea what Spurs were trying to do in that game except to sit in the game in the hope that something would break their way. It was horrible. They are a horrible team to watch. What are they trying to do? If I asked you, you're a, you're a professional analyzer of the game, Jack, if I asked you straight up, how are Spurs attending to win this football match? What would your answer be? Well, I think in the first half, they tried a few times to get Son in behind. And some of those passes nearly came off and they did make one good chance. And they, they'd obviously try and get Ndombele into spaces in between the lines to create things. And that, you know, which is basically how they played their best football against Newcastle. But the problem is that they didn't really do that in the second half. Like Rice and Suchek managed to control Ndombele pretty well, I thought, as the game went on. They couldn't get Son in behind and they just had no... They had no kind of alternative plan for how to how to create a chance. You know, it's all very well. They did a lot of sideways passing, which isn't actually something we've seen that much from Tottenham and the start of the Nuno era. But it was kind of pointless. It was what Wenger used to call sterile domination. You know, it was it was possession for the sake of possession. They never really possession without purpose. And at no point in the second half did they look like turning that possession into a goal scoring chance. That is their fourth defeat. Now, the leaves are still on the trees in these islands, so it's not even, it's barely autumn. That's their fourth defeat in a London derby in succession. No points, one goal, and I think on average about three and a half shots in the London derbies. I mean, I can ask you a question to which you can't have an answer, but you can have an opinion. Do you think those players give a flying toss about what's going on? I mean, it certainly doesn't look like there's the, the kind of passion that you would want or expect as a fan of a, of a London club in four London derbies. I mean, you know, we could argue the toss over whether or not anyone should care about Palace or, or should care as much. But irrespective of that, you know, yeah. you play you play Chelsea, start the game quite well and just collapse in the second half. You play Arsenal, who it was not a good team. I don't care what anyone says. And I don't think Spurs should be having any kind of inferiority complex when they play against Arsenal at the moment. Um, absolutely dreadful in the first half, as we know, and kind of improved slightly in the second half, but, you know, it's a low bar. Um, never really had any opportunity to get anything out of that. And then to play this game against West Ham, again, a, a team Spurs should be looking to beat. And just like like you say, not not really ever show any kind of desire to to get the job done beyond those first sort of forty five minutes when at least they did have a couple of chances. It, yeah, I, that that really does make me worry because that was a thing, and, and I think it's unfair to constantly compare any manager of Tottenham now to Pochettino because uh, sort of you know you're holding them up to a ludicrously high standard that is probably going to be quite difficult to match for the time being. But if you remember in Pochettino's first season in 2014-15, actually the London derbies was one of the one of the positives, one of the things they were doing well, I think, you know, Kane came into the team and scored against 
Arsenal and Chelsea, Palace, I think West Ham as well in that season. And quite quickly, it kind of felt like that was a thing that the Pochettino had got right that he that he understood. And I know sometimes I think people get a bit carried away with players and particularly managers, quote unquote, just getting it. But I, I do think it's actually quite important. Like if things aren't going well, and they didn't for Pochettino in that first season consistently, particularly through the first sort of seven or eight months, you have to let those fans know, sometimes explicitly, that you understand them and understand what they want to see. And I just don't think, like, no one's going to have walked away from any of those four games and thought that this guy is has got his team playing in the way that we want to see. I want to come on to the manager in just a second, but I think it's also, uh, in the interest of fairness... And this is down to me here as well, because I have defended him right royally up to now. Jack, what did we make of the performance of Harry Kane? Never mind the defensive error that allowed the goal, which was itself so out of character. He's such a brilliant defender of high balls. He may not have seen it. But for the first time, I got, I, I was under, I got the impression that he too was put just going through the motions out there. Kane's form often mirrors Tottenham's. You know, when Kane plays well, Tottenham play well and vice versa. And just in the same way that in the last two games, I thought Kane, yeah, I thought Kane was gradually improving. I thought he was better against Villa, better against Newcastle. And maybe things were going to click. And then just like the team, yesterday felt like a bit of a kind of coming back down to earth. You know, it was the same kind of leggy Kane, not much movement, not plodding. much running behind, plodding, got the ball caught under his feet, lost possession, would drop back to get the ball. And yeah, he played one or two clever passes without ever really threatening the West Ham goal. It, yeah, it was just too much of the kind of what you might call the kind of August-September Kane and maybe not as much as the possibly better October Kane that we have been seeing recently. So yeah, that was definitely another step in the wrong direction. If I got you, in, and I don't have this power, James, forgive me, you may have um, as, as one of the uh, uh, Lord High Admirals of The Athletic. If I could put you in a room with Harry Kane for 15 minutes, what would you say to Harry Kane? That's a great question. That's why I'm on the big money, man. That's that's what that's what happens, yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'd be asking for the big interview for The Athletic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I'd be asking him what he thinks is going to happen next because I don't want to kind of project that he's having a sulk at the moment. But uh, like, uh, clearly, clearly he's not happy. And you know, I think we talked about this before. And obviously, there'd be some mitigation there if he is unhappy because he is an elite player playing in a non-elite team. I think you know, whatever people might think, I think it's fair enough for a for a footballer to think that and to be disappointed by that and let down by that. But at the moment, it feels a bit like his reaction to that has been not so much to kind of skulk around and, and not try, but to not to not really dig in and try and like drag that team forward in a way that he really needs to do for his own good, for one of two reasons. Either A, to get Spurs into the Champions League so he can play at that level again and hopefully help the team kind of develop and help the club reinvest in new players and give them any kind of chance of getting back to the level they were kind of three or four years ago. Or B, <laughs> so Pep Guardiola and Manchester City decide, oh, actually, they will pay £150 million for him next summer or, in a, or an amount that Spurs will accept and he can get his move that he clearly still wants, or I suspect he still wants. If he doesn't do that for either of those two reasons, I don't really see like what what is going to happen to him. He's going to be stuck at Spurs, a club that he doesn't want to be at. You know, if he's playing way beyond the level we know he can, he's not going to get a move to anywhere good. I mean, he's going to end up either sticking at Spurs, playing in mid-table, or making some weird sideways move to... You know, getting. And look, I know Christian Eriksen ended up winning the title with Inter, 
But that move at the time, I think we talked about it on the podcast at the time, was a, more or less a sideways step. Uh, it wasn't like moving to Real Madrid or Barcelona. And all this sounds odd now, given the way football has changed, given the pandemic and those two clubs in Spain are now you know, on their arse and whatever. But he didn't get a move to an elite club because he didn't move at the right time. And that was partly because of Spurs. And Kane, you just think, like, is there any point in him leaving if he's going to go to... You know, uh, 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 like more. Yeah, exactly. Make us more as a sideways step. I mean, is going to is going to someone like Newcastle really going to be a good move for him? I mean, I, I just I just think he needs to really like, like get to grips with the idea that he hasn't gone to Manchester City and knuckle down because it is in his his best interest and obviously Tottenham's for him to perform like to the best of his ability on a consistent basis. Whatever his end game is, there whether it's helping Spurs or helping himself, he needs to be playing well consistently. And, and I think he just kind of needs to just like snap out of it and kind of knuckle down now, really. I, I mean, look, I mean, and again, I fully understand that what happened over the summer was a difficult thing to happen to a footballer. And I know, you know, we talked before about him coming back late for preseason and whatever else. But he he just he just needs to really focus now, and it just feels like he is sort of sulking a bit. The fact is, it's in everyone's interest for him to play well. Whether it's Kane playing for a move, and frankly, I. The way he's playing at the moment, I don't think City would be tempted to go back in, in for him next summer. I don't, I, to be honest, I, I would put that as being very unlikely at this point that he will get City or United coming back in for him next summer. I think it's much likelier that he will stay. And whether that means another contract or seeing at the end of his contract, which has still got three and a half seasons to run, whatever happens, I think he is going to be at Tottenham for the medium term. But right now, clearly, the balance of the team isn't working. You know, you know what I would actually ask him is, what sort of a manager would you and the Tottenham players like? Because the issue with Nuno is that Nuno, I don't think Nuno fits what Tottenham want. You know, he's not, I don't think he gets the best out of Kane and Son. He doesn't get the best out of Ndombele and Lacelso. He did a good job at Wolves under pretty unique circumstances, but I don't think he is really a good fit for Tottenham in any way. And... I would like, I think it would actually suit Tottenham if they had a manager who at the very least could, was kind of compatible with the qualities and characteristics of the best players that Tottenham have. I'm not sure how good Nuno Espirito Santo did do at Wolverhampton Wanderers. I think he was bequeathed by a special relationship with an agent, a group of players who were in the championship way, way uh, too good for that level. It's the, the reserve team of the Portuguese National Eleven. They're probably the seventh best team in England. And there they were, the seventh best team in England. I suppose you could argue he has to put them out onto the pitch and all the rest of it. And it's not uninstructive that you know he had an in-and-out relationship with Adama Traore, exactly the sort of player most managers would be building a team around. Again, I've, we've talked about Harry Kane. And we'll, we'll come on to Nuno because I've got plenty to say about that myself. Which takes us to the absolute nonsense during the protracted and publicly almost humiliating search for anyone to take this job. We're back here, Jack, to Levy's... I mean, he put the words... Levy doesn't say much. So anything he says, I take, I take it this is what he wants to convey. The stuff about the Spurs' DNA, attacking, dynamic, forward-looking. I can't remember the exact formulation. Free-flowing. Free-flowing. That was three months ago, and he's got exactly the opposite. What is he thinking sat up there? Yeah, and the most... Damning thing about that is that when the free-flowing statement was released, which was when 
Wolves announced that Nuno would be leaving the club. At that point, Tottenham ruled out Nuno. The view at Tottenham was that, well, good coach, but doesn't play the sort of football that, that we've just said that we won. Which was at least an honest appraisal of the situation. You might yeah. get a worse coach who might be more attacking, but Nuno is what Nuno is. Which goes to show what a huge U-turn it was that they've decided in the end when they got to um, all the way through, what, 10 weeks of the managerial process. Oh, actually, maybe this guy who we ruled out on the basis that his football didn't quite suit our public commitment to our DNA. They decided to backtrack on it and give him the job anyway. So yeah, clearly it was a shambles and clearly Nuno didn't really fit with the what Tottenham talked about as what they were looking for in the new manager. And that's, you know, that is apparent every time you watch them play. But that just goes to show what a mess it was this summer moving between different options, different types of manager and all the rest of it. But the maddest thing about that is they haven't gone against the principles they've set out themselves to bring in like a high-profile manager who is demonstrably really successful, which is effectively what they did when they brought in Mourinho Mm -hmm. two years previously. They've gone out and done it to bring in a guy who's sort of just just been mutually consented, quote-unquote, out of Wolves. And I think who who the perception of whom was that he played probably even more negative football than Mourinho. Like, like it wasn't like they bring in an elite manager who it was like a once in a lifetime opportunity to bring in like a manager who was obviously had a massive profile, which clearly Mourinho did. Yes, we I, not I, about I, it. I felt Mourinho was a mistake at the time, but at least it was a gamble worth taking, wasn't it? You could argue that. Yeah. You could see the logic in it. It's like a Hail Mary pass. Yeah. You could see the logic in yeah. it. But with Nuno, I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone ever thought like, oh, well, this is, that's a shrewd move. It never felt like a good fit. The other week I was talking to a, um, a, a current manager in England and he and he said to me, after Mourinho, they basically had two options. You can either go for a big name manager to replace him, like someone like a Conte or a Pochettino or perhaps a Zidane, who is such a big shot that he will kind of encourage the players to, and they'll all rally behind him. Or you can replace Mourinho with a completely different style of play, whether that's a kind of Ragnick, Hassan Huttel, Ten Hag, Brendan Rodgers, Hansi Flick type person who will completely change how Tottenham play. And that will kind of encourage a big reaction out of the players because they'll have to learn something completely new. And he was saying that it's kind of crazy that Tottenham have gone from, have managed to do neither of those things. They've gone for somebody who isn't a big name, hasn't got a CV, can't kind of win the players around with the strengths of his personality, but who also happens to play a style of football really similar to Mourinho. Is a disciple, is a disciple of Mourinho. And who will not be able to kind of instill any kind of different style of play or provoke any reaction through a more attractive style. So, and, th- and again, th- this is all just the opinion of this manager who I was talking to, to the other day. In that sense, it's almost a kind of worst of both worlds appointment. It's neither one thing nor the other. It's worth iterating here, I think, that uh, I've got nothing against Nuno Espirito uh, Santo as a man. I don't know him, but everything I hear about him and the few times you see him talking about anything other than how well his team played... Um, he seems like a perfectly decent human being. I want to. I want to get that across. I don't want to get into a Steve Bruce situation where I'm just slagging him off uh, for the kind of bloke he is. That's not fair because football managers come in all shapes, sizes, and personality traits. Of course they do. But when you send the reserves to play uh, a European Conference League game, they get beat, and then the ones who are sat at home apparently preparing with a laser-like precision for the game against West Ham, and they lose as well. It is a terrible look for the manager. I'm sorry, we live in the real world where they are not going to sack someone that they just appointed because it makes them look mugs. But I'm going to say again what I said after the Arsenal game. I now know this is going to fail. I know it as certainly as the sun will rise uh, over the hills in Kilkenny tomorrow morning. And yet 
nothing can dissuade me from the view that, that right now, right now, James, Spurs need to change the manager because I don't blame him entirely. The players are clearly not doing everything they should do as well, but they're not going to do it for him, are they? Well, it's interesting to say that because it's kind of a month maybe before the end of the Mourinho era. I tweeted that Mourinho wasn't like the biggest problem at Spurs and getting rid of him wasn't going to solve all those problems overnight. You know, there were far bigger issues at play. Sure. But it was a thing that we're going to need to do to progress as a football club. And it was a thing that was going to make, basically make the the fans happy again and like allow them to have a bit more belief and a sense that this thing was all suddenly moving in the right direction again. And I kind of feel quite similarly about the situation now. I mean, and that feels like a bigger statement in October rather than March of a season. And, you know, when a guy had been in charge for the best part of 18 months and obviously Nuno's only had, what, three. But I feel the same now, to be honest, that, as you say, it feels like it's not really going to work. I can't really envisage a way in which in which it works in a, any kind of meaningful way. I mean, you could see, you know, they could kind of scrape to sixth place if a couple of other clubs, you know, if Leicester don't suddenly kind of fly up the table, which to be fair, it looks like they're, they're starting to come into form. Mm-hmm. So they would obviously be a threat for a top six place now where two, three weeks ago it looked like maybe they were going to have a bad season. Beyond that, I just I just don't see it being a success. And uh, why wait? Why not take the punt and <laughs> and try and make it work when this season is still relatively young? We're a quarter of the way in and it's not like, you know, the points title is so bad that there's absolutely no chance of them achieving anything. They're still in all those cup competitions as of the time we record this. Maybe that'll be different by Wednesday night. There's still plenty to play for this season. And I, I kind of feel like there's an, there's an opportunity to just kind of say, okay, let's try something different. And I appreciate, you know, they're not going to want to embarrass themselves like they did over the, over the summer. But their embarrassment shouldn't be the biggest factor in what happens Absolutely. next. Absolutely. And let's be fair, they, they, it's not like they've not got practice. I think I'm right in saying that in the Premier League era, no club uh, has sacked more managers mid-season than Tottenham. Um, so this is what they do. And I have to say, with all due respect to Nuno, get on with it. Um, because the, the evidence to their own eyes, despite the manager blinking into the lights of the TV cameras afterwards saying, I thought we did all right there. No, sir, you did not do all right. That was absolutely terrible. Just a, a little sidebar here, Jack, because you often produce these rabbits out of the hat yourself. I think I'm right in saying as well that the, the time between the last substitution in the game against Aston Villa, the last Spurs substitution, and the first substitution against West Ham is the longest any Premier League manager has gone without making a change to the team. What's, what's, he, what's his problem with substitutes? Well, <laughs> That's clearly insane. he thinks I, the I team was... That. That's mad. But well, think about it. They didn't do any in the last game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Clearly he thinks the team was playing so unimprovably well. <laughs> It would be, it would be uh, a he take the risk of anything going wrong. Yeah, why take the risk? Uh, it just I think that just underlines how a few things. One is that Nuno is clearly a very risk averse manager who doesn't want to take any. He doesn't really want to take any chances. The second is that I don't think he fancies anyone on his bench. I think that you know his bench was mainly guys who played so badly at Vitesse, at Vitesse Arnhem on Thursday night, and maybe he thinks that they're not worthy of a place in the team. Although the idea that none of Brian Hill, Lacelso, and Delhi could have made any difference in the second half, I think, strikes me as unlikely. Before the game, I tweeted, "Well, this is you know this was the third time in a row Spurs had picked that specific eleven, but I don't think it's Spurs' best team because it doesn't have Lacelso in." And some people are like, "Oh, but where would you play him? Where would you play him?" And the answer is, instead of Lucas Moura, you know, Lucas has been playing in this role for Tottenham as a kind of creative inside right. But the problem is, like, he's not a very good creative player. Lo is, Lo is a much better creative player than Lucas is. 
And to me, it just it, it, it strikes me that if you put Lacelso where Lucas is in the team, then Tottenham would simply create more chances and score more goals. So that would be an obvious change, although whether or not he's actually going to do it, I don't know. Maybe he will just continue to be loyal to Lucas Moura. Any positives at all you want to take from before we widen this out from the game? Even Romero's shithousing uh, of uh, Pablo <laughs> Fornals, at least that was something, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Romero's performance was, was generally pretty good. Emerson Royale, I thought, had sort of shown signs of improvement, but wasn't especially great yesterday. I know we talked a bit about Kane's role in the goal, but Reguilon, immediately before that corner, like trying to knock the ball around the man and run around the other side of him on the edge of his own box. That's criminal. And that would be all right if he was playing in an all-out attacking team like I wish he was playing. But when you're playing in a back foot, let's hope for the best team, you can't have somebody doing Cruyff turns on the edge of his own box. I just don't think you want someone doing that at nil, nil, nil in, a, in a tight game against a decent team. So you're, me, you're a crazy. real risk averse now, like Nuno. You're, you're part of the problem now. You're, you're part of the problem now. <laughs> Listen, let's have a quick break and we'll come back and talk about why this is so important that Spurs either improve or change something because this is turning out to be a very, very interesting season in English football with three absolutely brilliant teams in the Premier League and then a mishmash of other stuff through which anybody could emerge. You're listening to James Moore and Jack Pitbrook and me, Danny Kelly, and this is The View from the Lane. Now, look, we're recording this. Um, welcome back, incidentally. We're recording this on Monday morning. And at, at the moment, Manchester United's manager is still in situ. Quite how he can survive a 5 0 home defeat um, by their traditional and local rivals. Um, is beyond me in the form of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I suspect in the same way as I think about the Spurs manager, Nuno Espirito Santo, is out of his depth in his current job. But, as I say, he's still in situ and Manchester United, despite their galaxy of expensively acquired and brilliant footballers, are not improving. Which means, Jack, that if we take it that Chelsea are fantastic and the champions of Europe, Liverpool have rediscovered a mojo because they've got a manager who knows how to renew a football team, as he proved again and again and again at Dortmund, while having his best players taken away by Bayern Munich. And Manchester City are, well, they're a phenomenon, aren't they, in terms of the way they want to play the game. But below that, I see a genuine scramble for fourth place, a scramble that it is not impossible to envisage being part of for Tottenham, but not under the current manager. That's the reason why I'm so insistent that if they're going to do it, and they may have to do it, do it straight away. Because that fourth place is up for grabs, isn't it? Yeah, it is up for grabs. I mean, United are terrible, and they have been for a long time. That 5-0 defeat to Liverpool should have been no surprise. I think it's kind of been in the post for a while. And as it stands, I don't think they will get fourth. What Tottenham could do in the next few weeks to ensure that they get fourth instead, I don't know. I mean, could they... The obvious answer to this, and I don't know if they could do this or not, would be get back on the phone to Antonio Conte and say, Antonio, I'm really sorry about how things went in June. But it's been a misunderstanding. A, we, yeah, we, we've thought about it again. And yes, of course, you can, you, of course you can spend £300 million on players or whatever it, whatever it might be that you would specifically want to do. Because if, if Tottenham don't get Conte, there's a good chance that Manchester United get Conte. But if Manchester United get Conte then I think everyone outside of that big four can say goodbye to playing the Champions League anytime again soon. I mean, it's funny, you know, having having kind of rude 
Spurs form in the early weeks of the season. Even if they'd only drawn that game yesterday, I think they would have gone above Brighton and into the top four. It's clearly not been an utter disaster. I mean, I do share your pessimism about what, what's going to come over the course of the season, Danny, if things don't change. Because it does kind of feel like they're treading water a bit. But you're right. I mean, I, I, and, and we're in the middle of a run now, or at the start of a run, against what before the game on Sunday were the, the, uh, playing the three teams immediately below Spurs. So West Ham, Manchester United and Everton with the three immediately below. So actually, if they had gone into the, if they had won that game yesterday and then they beat Manchester United and beat Everton, they would definitely be in the top four at the end of that going into the next international break. And they'd probably have like a decent gap back to some of those other teams. So it's not like, it's not like entirely fanciful that they could do that. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure I, I like the sight of the bar being set at it's not been a complete disaster, if, if I might be so bold, uh, James. Um, That's what the Latin means, isn't it? <laughs> On the badge. Uh, yeah, not a complete disaster. Uh, the, the truth of the matter is, and I always come back to this and, and to Levy's statement, for me, anybody who could come in, and it wouldn't have to, and Antonio Conte wouldn't do this, of course, anybody who could come in and just make the team play in the, in, the, in the modern parlance, on the front foot, look like they were trying to win the game and risk losing the game in trying to win it. Because what I fear, my visceral fear, is of teams that just sit there waiting to get beat 1-0 away from home, exactly as happened at the weekend. Better to have had a proper crack at that game. And if you lose 3-2, you lose 3-2, at least for your 70 quid or whatever you're paying for your TV description, or in return for the emotional, what I always call the blood investment you put into these football teams, you're getting something back. At least the team got up and had a crack. I know we talked last week about um, Eric Ten Hag and how well he's doing at mm. Ajax and what a great option he would be. To be honest, on Saturday, I was at um, City winning at Brighton. And even though City won 4-1, at points in the game, Brighton were fantastic. You know, they were a bit too... In the first half, They because of how they played, you know, they defended high up the pitch and they tried to play out from the back and City could pick them off a few times and they conceded some bad goals. But then Brighton genuinely dominated the second half. City couldn't, got, couldn't get the ball off them. And they had Adam Lallana playing in holding midfield in front of the back four, running the game by himself. And City City couldn't lay a finger on Lallana. And they were really good. And they created chances. They got a goal back. They took off the centre forward Mope and went to a kind of almost sort of very fluid system with Trossard as the lone striker. And then um, they brought on Muwepu to kind of play off him and run through the middle. And they were just really, really good. And watch, watching how Brighton play with... They've obviously got a bit of money behind them and they've bought very well. But watching them play and the intelligence and flexibility of how they play and the bravery and the, and the way they take risks and the way they build up through the back and they keep the ball and they don't just kind of play percentage football. It was so impressive. And it did make me think, you know, imagine if Tottenham had got this guy. The next game is against Manchester United now for a joke, and it was a weak joke. It was such a weak joke that I was having to keep it alive on a life support machine. On Twitter yesterday, I put, oh, next to a weekend, it's the uh, it's Spurs against Manchester United, El Sacchio. I mean, I'll, as I say, I'll be surprised, Jack, if we get to next weekend and both managers are actually in situ. I think it's much more likely that Manchester United will, will finally wean themselves off the idea that uh, Ole is going to take them across the line that they're trying to get across despite all the spending. But it is a bizarrely huge game for both clubs now next weekend, isn't it? Yeah, it is huge. I mean, I, I've got no idea at this point if Solskjaer will still be in charge of United. 
Although if he is, then it could be the final straw if United were to lose at Tottenham. I think Nuno is probably a little bit more secure yep. in his standing at the moment, simply because he's been there for less time and obviously the expectations he's are current, He's currently fourth favourite to be the next Premier League manager. I mean, Solskjaer is odds on um, to be the next one to go. I- the big difference between Solskjaer and Nuno, really, is that Nuno plays a very organised style of football and Solskjaer plays a very disorganised style of football. And so it might be, you know, we saw yesterday the limitations of what happens when Solskjaer teams come up against a much more organised opponent and the players were running off in different directions. There's so much space to play through. So it might be that if you, if United decide to, to take such a kind of ludicrously reckless approach at Tottenham on Saturday and start, yeah, everyone tries to press by themselves and, and all the rest of it, then maybe that would create the conditions for Tottenham to do them on the break. But then... I remember thinking, I remember last time United were fantastic when they went to Tottenham and won towards the end of the Mourinho era, but that's because they had Cavani up front. And I think Cavani is actually a much better option for United than Cristiano Ronaldo as a centre forward because he just improves all the players around him. I think United would be fine against Spurs because the, the, the quality of their forward players might eventually become the deciding factor, though that is ironic when you think about what Spurs have at the disposal at the front of the team but not being used properly uh, at the moment. We'll see what, what what occurs with that one. I always say that because you never know at the moment, though, again, at the moment, I'm living under a cloud of fear about Spurs' fixtures. We'll have another quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about a, a fixture that actually has to come before El Sacchio, and that is the Carabao Cup. Can Spurs do it? on a rainy Wednesday night in Burnley. Spurs have shown their disdain for the Europa Conference League with the team that they put out and leaving the other lads at home last week. And of course, it didn't work. They got beaten in Vitesse, in Arnhem, actually, in the town of Arnhem. And this Wednesday, James, comes the next round of the Carabao Cup. What do you think Nuno should do on Wednesday at Burnley, of all places? The very place where if you've got any flaw in your metal, it gets tested, though they're not having a good season themselves. What do you think he should do and what do you think he will do? Well, it's funny, actually, since the last League Cup game, we kind of feel like we've gone full circle because I remember us saying before the Wolves League Cup game that it was a game that Nuno needed to win more than Spurs did, in a sense. For Spurs at that point, it felt like, you know, if they weren't going to win the League Cup, they could bin it off early doors. You know, losing to a Premier League team isn't exactly a humiliation. But now off the back of that West Ham game, it kind of feels like, again, we're in a situation where Nuno could really do without getting knocked out of a, a cup competition this week. So I suspect he will do a similar thing to, to what he did in that Wolves game, which is play a sort of half and half. His, his Conference League reserve team and his Premier League first eleven. So I mean, he'd be amazed, despite the fact that he didn't play brilliantly well. Uh, I'd be amazed if Kane didn't play, for example. Or, or, or him or Son, maybe not both. Hoiberg, I suspect, will be involved again. And one rather of those two centre-backs, maybe one of the full-backs. And then, yeah, maybe sort of four or five, maybe six changes elsewhere. But yeah, so I think it'll be a bit of a combination. And, and to be honest, that probably is the right thing because I suppose do need to win a trophy. Burnley are no pushovers. I'm not sure what Sean Dyche's policy on this competition has been in, in years gone by. I don't sense that it's ever been a high priority for them. And they've not really got incredible depth, have they? Possibly so, even more so this season where, um, and of course, they've often started averagely 
and gone on to gather up the 42 points, whatever it is they finish with most years. They don't look to be playing as well as they as they would want to, even at this stage of the season. So I suspect um, it's not a high priority for them. I, I'll ask you the same question, Jack, if I may. Should he be taking this, this game on Wednesday more seriously than, say, he took the game in Arnhem? Well, the problem is that taking the game in Arnhem unseriously didn't work, not just because they lost that game, but because they then lost the next game as well. So it's like, what is the point of resting resting the good players? Uh, I think James is right. I don't think Nuno can afford to get knocked out of this. And that's why maybe he should play a strong team. I certainly think he should focus on thinking, well, which players can help me improve the Premier League team? And I think that's certainly number one, LaCelso, sure. number two, Bergwijn. Get those two guys in the team. If they can get them playing well, then maybe there's a route to a better Spurs first eleven round the corner. But uh, I think that has to be that is almost more important than the result itself. Although a bad result would obviously be pretty bad for Nuno. I mentioned this one because he is a very a very recent Spurs manager, and two because um, there's such a good parallel with what happened in Holland during the week. Uh, Jose Mourinho, bless him, um, put out his second team against Bode Glimt. They got beat six Roma. Two responses to that from Jose Mourinho. One, this weekend, the players weren't even on the bench. He put most of them into the stand and had teenagers on the bench for Roma's uh, actually very, very good nil-nil draw with Napoli, during which Mourinho, of course, got himself sent off as well uh, to draw attention at some point he was trying to make. But after the game in Norway, uh, he came out and in English, he used the words, I mean, it was just brilliant. He said, so you think because of this team that I'm an arsehole? I'm not an asshole. That is the previous people who brought in these players. I mean, he really is in stunning Mourinho form just now. On one hand, he stops Napoli's amazing style. That's the first points they've dropped all season in Serie A in nil-nil draw in Rome. On the other hand, he's using the word asshole about other people and getting himself sent to the stands. Thank you for getting to the end of this because it must have been a miserable listen for you because we're reflecting what I hope is the mood among Spurs fans. I wish I was more angry about it, really after an appalling uh, second-half display at West Ham that uh, saw an opportunity to go into the top four turned into another existential crisis. I want to thank you for getting to the end of the podcast with us. I want to thank Jack and James for uh, sharing the misery around a bit. And hopefully, by the next time we speak, Spurs will be through to the next round of the Carabao Cup and we'll have uh, formulated a plan to beat Manchester United. Thank you for listening to The View from the Lane. We're back again in a few days' time. The Athletic.